Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Spark Your Fire. Uh, it's Friday again. What can I say? Always that Friday fitting is awesome. Um, except on this bright, sunny, warm Sydney day, we only got Je- uh, we only got John with me today. I haven't got uh, Jazz. I think uh, he's uh, he's getting sick of us now, John. What do you reckon? I think this is his way of firing us or the other way around. I'm not sure which way it is, but, um, but yeah, no jazz today. That's right. We can, we can have a good chat yeah. um, on our second last episode of the summer, that's which is true. Which sad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I can already starting to feel the chill um, at night. or so starting on that. Right. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's uh, anyway, these. <laughs> I know we love our summers and it's so good to be able to finish up the day and knowing that it's still bright and sunny out there and you know be able to hit the beach and that kind of stuff that's yeah one of the key advantages living in Australia and we keep forgetting how great it is you know the lifestyle that we have here gotta yeah. say in comparison to lots of areas in the world so lucky us mm, indeed anyway John how are you this week good yeah very good uh, very good week and uh uh yeah feeling good feeling good how are you doing yeah yeah not too bad i mean it's it's been a lot of news around the world i have to say um (laughs) and uh you know looking at the equities market looking at the commodities market i think it really all ties down to you know we're just talking before ties down to this um uh this ukraine geopolitics uh being the main reason on what's uh what's causing the market fluctuations at the moment and and they and the way they behave how they are um, but to lead us in, can you just give us a bit of background in terms of what's uh, what's happening with this uh, Ukraine situation? Yep, yep. So the, the the big news at the moment is the Russia Ukraine mm. thing, and a lot of people have different perspectives on it. But you know the 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 boring old facts of the matter is is that uh, Russia appears to be amassing its troops on on the border of the Ukraine, uh, on the Belarusian and Russian side. Um, now, U- Ukraine is an important, it's always been an important part of the world because it's, a, it's essentially a buffer zone. So Ukraine doesn't belong to NATO, but Russia is very scared of it becoming a NATO ally. So it likes having Ukraine there as a bit of a buffer. And the West has been quite aggressive in sort of recruiting uh, NATO allies like Poland and places like that. So... Uh, so there could so, so the expectation is that Russia will invade Ukraine. I mean, and this is the this is the big fear. Now, who knows? Who knows? There's all sorts of diplomatic uh, uh, comings and goings, way above my pay grade. But um, uh, but but it, the impact on the financial markets is is quite interesting. So it's it's been it's led to a lot of volatility um, in the debt market, the bond market. Uh, which is probably the key market, but also the stock market and, and, and commodities as well. So, you know, in, in response to um, Russia moving its troops onto the border on the Russian side, the um, NATO allies like the, U- the US and UK and, and other European nations have moved their, um, their troops into places like Poland. So they're, they're moving tr- troops in. They're also selling lots of uh, weapons to the, the Ukraines and, mm. and so on. So we'll see, we'll see where, where it takes us you know the us told their citizens to get out so did the australians and um uh, so there's an expectation that there's going to be a an in, quote invasion um and in fact biden kind of said a, about a week and a half ago that it's going to be on wednesday the wednesday that just passed there's a very specific uh date he said oh there will be an invasion on wednesday obviously that didn't happen but um 
how did he know? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that's right. I know they're on the phone. But, uh, you, you know, so in terms of the impact of the markets is there's a couple, a couple of things. Obviously, the markets don't like wars, obviously, because wars blow things up, but also wars lead to debt expansion. So there's that kind of interesting um, aspect where so, there are always winners and losers out of wars, but, mm. but there's also the, uh, you know, central banks love wars because they get to print all the money and raise all the debt and all that sort of stuff. But there's also another aspect. It's, uh, you know, Europe and Germany in particular is very dependent on Russian energy. So what happens if Germany, a NATO ally, um, prevents uh, Russia moving into the Ukraine and uh, what happens to all the the natural gas supplies mm. uh, for Europeans? So there's all sorts of strategic interests at play and uh, who knows. So what, what happened uh, in the, the last week or so is that every time there's a bit of ra- sabre rattling, the markets go down. So last night, so it's Friday morning here, um, and the th- Thursday trading in the US, the Dow Jones went down about 600 points, yep. which is quite a lot, uh, the biggest fall this year. And it's it's generally considered a big a big fall. Um, the the and you know the gold and silver markets went up quite a lot. Um, oil was down, but oil still around ninety two dollars US a barrel. So so oil is really high. There's there's, high. there's concerns around energy. Now what 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 the markets are in flux at the moment because there are two competing tectonic plates in the markets. One is the fear trade, which is the Russia-Ukraine thing, the fear trade, right? Yep. So that means money goes into the US dollar, money goes uh, into the bond market, pushing yields down, and money comes out of the stock market. So that's the fear trade because of the Ukraine. Then you've got the Fed saying that we have to raise rates. And they're saying we're going to raise rates in in March and, and who knows how many times this year. Anyone's guess is, is okay. But that, that's, a, that's the inflation play. So you've you've got um, you know that that sort of different thing. So you've got the ten year yield. Whenever they think that rates are going to go up, the ten year yield pops above two percent, and mm. and but then when the um, you know Russia moves its troops closer to the border, then the ten year yield will come down because then the fear takes over. So the markets are swinging wildly at the moment. So very interesting. Um, I, I don't know if there's going to be bullets flying. Like this is this is you know this is 2022. Do, do, is that the sort of way we do wars? I'm not sure. We have skirmishes, but do we have all-out wars? And would NATO and Russia want to go to war with each other? I don't. I don't. I don't know. And so again, I don't know. This. I, I've got a couple of different sort of th- things in my head rattling around that aren't quite um, crystallized in in my understanding. But I, I think that part of Russia's long-term thinking is that Ukraine has 45 million people and Russia has a demographic crisis at the moment. So Russia's population is falling quite quickly. Uh, China has a similar problem. Um, so does Europe. But it, but going into the Ukraine gives them uh, a, a immediate population boost of about the size of California. So I think that I think that, that would be in their minds. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know if either side actually want war, though. 
uh, I feel like it'll be a bit like when Russia moved into Georgia in 2015. They kind of just marched in, and no one really stopped them. And mm. but but I think from a from a US perspective, I think it's a very so. This is where I get a little bit conspiratorial, and I know David that you love my <laughs> conspiracy theories, but I actually think that the timing of this coincides with all the hawkish rate increase talk. Yeah. So the Fed are coming out saying, "Oh, we've got to put rates up. Got to put rates up. Inflation is is uh, running out of control." And then what do you know? this deflationary threat comes along of war. So putting downward pressure on the 10-year yield and, and saying to the, uh, the, the, you know, the Fed saying, oh, maybe we, we can't necessarily move as aggressively as we wanted to in, 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 in increasing interest rate, interest rates because of all the geopolitical uh, uncertainty. And we've said many times on this uh, podcast that they, they're going to talk about putting interest rates up, but they're never going to be able to do it in any meaningful way. And I feel like the Ukraine crisis came along at exactly the right time so that it, it means that they can keep the upward hawkish talk on interest rates to a minimum. And I think, mm. you know, just before all, all the Ukraine stuff uh, really started heating up, there was talk of a 50 basis point increase in March. So, yep. which is, you know, that's a lot. That's um, a lot. That's a no one's talking about that anymore. And when the FOMC minutes came out during the week, the dollar dropped, gold went up because they realised they, they weren't going to be able to increase rates quite as aggressively as people had thought. So, you know, we'll see. Rates mm. will go up in March in the US. But, but um, I feel like there are competing narratives at play at the moment that will probably keep a lid on things and we'll see how we go. Yeah, wow. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting summary, I have to say. But um, I'm out of know. breath. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, we love your conspiracy theories. Yes, yes. The day, there's always there's always something. I mean, you, you got a very clear logic that kind of explains <laughs> it, and that's the thing. It's very difficult to, I guess, you know, argue in, in that in that sense, and, <laughs> and it's difficult to. I guess not to link them together in a sense, right? When you got the hawkish type type of talk, and then you got the other side yeah. of the world that's having this type of action, that's like you said, causing deflationary in terms of the debt. Hmm. Um, Look, it could be it could be like an arms deal in Scott. Like I just don't know, but I mean, I'm happy to take it at face value, yeah. And the markets will, and that's the most important thing. What do the what do the markets think? But who knows, right? And how the markets react. And, you know, mm. clearly we're seeing at the moment there's a lot of fear in the markets, right? Yep. Like you said, um, you know, investors are basically dumping share markets and, and putting them into the longer-term mm. um, safer type of assets, including gold, silver, um, yep. and 10-year 10 10 treasury bonds. Um, all yep. these are safe havens. So um, that clearly kind of shows where the investor mindsets are currently at, right? So, yeah. Mm. I think I think it, you know this sort of thing. I mean, look, it's it's particularly volatile at the moment, but but you know, no, no one's losing sleep over it. I don't I don't think, but it is volatile, and I think it it sort of shows that at any time you do need to have risk on assets and risk off assets. Yeah. So I think I think a lot of people who listen to this are probably property investors, which is great. Um, so you you need to be kind always thinking about what your hedges are. So you've got let's say uh, some equities. Do you need to do you need to have some gold as well as a as a risk off fear yep. fear asset as well? And then if you do need those sort of things, what percentages do you need them in? And so I think I think you you know if you've got a good diversified portfolio, you would have seen some gains this week in some areas. You know. So yeah, just 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 consider your your portfolio in terms of risk on and risk off, yeah, uh, and in terms of tangible and intangible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
definitely. I think it's, yeah, this, everything that we've seen last year and this year, uh, you know, in, in, including in terms of all that fluctuation and that crazy market fluctuation that we could see that could happen in a week, right? Mm. All kind of leads to telling that investor that you need to continue to review your current portfolio to see, you know, what your comfort levels are. We don't want anyone losing sleeps um, ultimately. At the same time, I think the way I look at it is um, uh, like it could be just a blip throughout the whole thing. Um, you know, if you, um, the, the most challenging part is, is is investor mindset not to sell when things are going wrong, right? I think that's what most people are having problem with. Um, but, you know, my view is if I'm holding something and that, and that fundamental company or whatever that I'm holding does, has not changed in terms of its value or its, um, mission, vision, and all that kind of stuff, then I've got nothing to fear and I don't really want to sell out. Mm. So anyway, but it's a different mentality. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's a really interesting thing to pick up on. So, uh, which is to say, I, I don't, you know, we don't give advice on this show, but I, no. what I would say in general is don't expect long drawn out bear markets in, in any asset. And the reason the reason for that is that we, we do operate in a zero interest rate effectively zero interest rate yes. environment. Correct. So there are going to be mini booms and mini busts all the time. And any any um, downward movement in markets is generally speaking going to be short-lived. So you know, will there will the markets move down if bullets start flying in in, in Russia <laughs> and Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. And how long will that last? Probably not very long. Um, you know, um, in one of our webinars, David, I put a, a chart of Sydney real estate prices since the 1970s. And it's very, very smooth, drifting up, drifting up, drifting up. And then 2008 comes along, interest rates go to zero. And then even property prices, which are very stable prices, even property prices are very have been very erratic since uh, 2008. And that's because assets are trying to figure out what to do in, a, in an environment where cash has no value. Mm. Uh, so, Will the market go down? Yes, and will it go back straight back up again? Yeah, probably because that's how that's how markets operate yeah. when there's no time value of money. GFC was like a mini version of what we just gone through throughout yeah. the uh, the right. Like they they printed money, but it wasn't as crazy as what we have printed uh, in yeah, the last right. in the last twenty four months essentially. Um, so you know, imagine the volatility then, and compared to the size of volatility now, basically is uh, you know it's a, it's a totally different scale. Um, and that's why we're seeing these kind of crazy up and downs and types of volatility. It's because of all that, like you said, it's all that cash trying to find the um, the place of places to be able to sit in. And you know, like when investors um, change their minds, and you know, that means big lump sums and bigger, much bigger lump sums now actually move from one asset to another, which causing you know goes up and down a lot bigger in terms of its magnitude. So, yeah. You need to have a big. You need to have a good heart. I guess that's the way I look yeah, at it. You know, right. a very, a very, um, <laughs> a very stable heart. Otherwise, mm. yeah, I can't. You won't be able to survive in the current um, investing <laughs> environment. Or better way to look at it, I'd say, don't even look at it myself. <laughs> which is why I'm yeah. trying to detach myself to a lot of these. You know, once I made the decision, once I done my due diligence, I just go. I have a longer term view to say, put you know, if I'm buying something, I'm going to keep it for five, ten years, just like property in a sense. You know, mm. I, tr- I have the same type of views when I'm buying, whether that's going to be shares, whether it's going to be managed funds, that kind of stuff. I say, I'm going to look at it from a, a minimum of five years of holding perspective. Is it going to go down tomorrow? And does it go down tomorrow? Does it care? Do I care? Not really. You know, like, so that, that keeps me detached in terms of 
that fear factor because I'm not trading, I'm investing um, in a sense. And yeah, I, I'm not, I don't need to sell that tomorrow. So why do I need, why do I need to worry about it? And uh, keeps me, keeps me focused on what I need to do on a day-to-day basis instead. So but that's the beautiful thing about property. Even if you wanted to monitor its price movements, you couldn't yeah. really do it. Uh, certainly not daily, maybe not even monthly. I can tell you a lot of people are asking me to say, can we try to pull a valuation three months after and see what it right, comes back right. at, at the moment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah nah, fair enough. But uh, okay, no, that's good. Thanks cool. for the summary, John. That was really, really good. I think that gives our uh, listeners a, a good glimpse about what's currently happening. Um, anything, any other things that you want to touch on this week? Uh, financial markets that you... Uh, just one thing that's really interesting to me, and we've been talking about this a lot, and I, I'm always sort of, uh, I'm very biased towards gold. I talk, I've been talking about it, and I've been wrong for such a long time. There's the context. But gold has is on the verge of completing a 10, 11-year cup and handle formation. So wow. the cup and handle formation is the most bullish formation. And cup and handle formations usually happen over six months or a year. This has been like a 10, 11-year mm-hmm. formation, and it is the perfect cup and handle formation. So does that mean gold and silver, well, gold in particular, is about to about to go up and, uh, in a sustained way? Like, is this the big? Maybe, maybe. That's, that, that's what that chart would suggest. But um, yeah, have, have, a look at the, have a look at the gold chart over a 10 to 15-year period, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Good. That's a good tip for our listeners, basically. <laughs> and mind you, John's got a good track record in terms of predicting when was the bottom of Sydney property market uh, about, you know, back in about 2020 right, or 2019. So, yeah. So there you go. Horrible record. Horrible record with everything else, though. <laughs> you know, just one good pick and we're going to keep talking about it. Uh, well, that's a good lead in, I guess, to talk about a bit about property in that case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I think today we're going to do something different. Uh, we always like to try something different. Jazz and I, when we initially started the podcast, we, we, we you know, if you look at, if you look back all the way to the first, first 10, 15 episodes, it's all about talking about property investing and, you know, a lot of um, advice around finances and all that kind of stuff. And we were very happy to share our personal experiences and so on. Since John has joined us, we haven't really had a chance to ask him about his personal experiences and his, you know, we're not going to dip into his portfolio because it's probably too much um, to, to, you know, to be able to, um, to share with everyone. But uh, to give the context, I mean, John, how long have you been investing in property now? Yeah, so so I, I bought my first property in two thousand and six, I think two thousand five, something like that. Yep. So so there we go. There, there's about seventeen years of experience, mm. and and I think you know, the, and 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 to um and since then, uh, but that was the first property, right? I should um, I should say my wife. Bought something in about two thousand and one when she was about okay wow twenty so, even- so you know yeah so we kind of yeah we're married long enough for that for that to count as well there you go there you go um, she's she's obviously uh you know the the great wisdom behind the uh, <laughs> behind the overall team um, but yeah so that that gives us at least 15, 16 years plus years of uh, of experiences and you've seen multiple cycles um, so far you know you've seen the good times in Sydney and you've seen the bad times in Sydney as well right like a bit of both worlds um, and they say what in general seven year seven year rule uh, essentially so you know the market kind of doubles seven years you've seen about two cycles so far roughly roughly 
Okay, and you and we've just we've just observed the amazing boom that we've had in Sydney as well. Um, and so I think today uh, we are going to I'm going to try to do a bit of an interview style, and we'll do a bit of discussion uh, with John because um, everyone knows that John is very knowledgeable in property, and he's a great buyer's agent. And he focuses on Sydney, but we haven't really asked him about what have you learned throughout the years, um, right? Which I reckon it will be very worthwhile for our listeners to, to pick up on, you know, even if you just take away one or two lessons from John today, um, that'd be fantastic. So, so I think that sets the background um, in terms of that. And um, where do we start, John? I reckon, okay, so first property, let's start off with that. What, um, I guess, what, what made you want to, what made you want to go into property at mm. that point in time? Was it first home right. that you're looking at getting? Yes. So I'm happy. Yeah. Happy to, I mean, I'm going to be a little bit cagey because I don't want to give away too much, but uh, if if we just sort of do, you know, do it this way, I'm fine with it. Um, So so I was overseas when I bought my first property, I was in um, the UK and I sort of um, found it online. It was an on-market property in about 2000, I think 2006. And, um, and I got my sister to go and have a look at it. It was a a townhouse in five dock uh, in in Sydney, sort of inner West. Mm. And um, it had been. It is. It was actually a bit stale. It had been on the market for a while, which was excellent because I was having difficulty getting finance as a non-resident. Yes. So it kind of was on the market for a little while, and um, and it was a rental. I remember my sister saying, "Oh, there's KFC packets in the house. Ooh, gross." And I'm like, "Yeah, that that's." That's what you're buying. I'm not buying that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now that you know that, that's what. Yeah, you're yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but look, at the, at the time it was it was like if you know the matter the minute I got finance, I did it. I didn't I didn't run the numbers or anything like that. Like sure. I didn't you know I, I knew what the rent was at the time, and I just wondered if I could afford it. I, I, where was it good? These days, I like I like I'm I'm meticulous with analysis, but back then it was like hey, you know. Man, Okay, let's let's do it anyway. I got it, and um, and it, fantastic. Actually, the first th- first thing with that property that started going up was the rent was exploding. So I remember um, in about two thousand and eight, two thousand nine, it was up for rent, and there was a line out the front, and that was what was growing really fast initially. So yeah, I mean, so it's and that was you know that was the seed for 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 future uh, future things, but. That that was really good, and and actually one of the things now that keeps coming up um, when people are looking for properties in the post COVID world is everyone wants a courtyard and townhouses are great for that, and everyone wants you know, everyone wants outdoor space and people don't want to go up twenty flights of stairs either. So it was ended up being a good buy, like it's a low rise place in a good location with outdoor outdoor space and three bedrooms. So it was a good a good it was a good start. What uh, what made you? I mean, you're overseas. You're in UK at that point in time. Mm. Why were you wanting to buy property in Australia? What was the what was the trigger point? Uh, I I wanted to uh, I wanted to <laughs> uh, j- j- so, so, <laughs> I wanted to I was on the verge of proposing to my then girlfriend, now wife, okay. and I just it just seemed like the most adult thing to do to make her like me more. <laughs> wow okay yeah, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not proud of that but it was it was yeah it was very much that kind of what's the next phase if i want to you know grow up that's yeah. very legitimate i've got to say you know like buy a home so that you guys can all settle in right I, you it's, propose it's so and- old-fashioned right so what what if i want to propose what do i get to bring what, what do i bring you know and that <laughs> yeah. that was kind of how i was thinking about it 
You bring the set of keys and you bring the mortgage papers. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's right. Why, why, why do okay. I just have wow. to have the debt myself? Because, <laughs> yeah, that was very, I was very curious when, you, when I hear it. I was like, well, if you're in UK, logically thinking you will be buying something in UK, not in Australia, right? Mm. Especially when they're non-resident as well. It's going to be even harder to get something. But, uh, yeah, okay, now it all makes sense. Okay, and uh, so that was the first property in Sydney, and then since then you've basically go on a and, and, and had a had a first taste of the rent rises in in 08, and then started to basically go on a roll. Um, <laughs> but I know one of the facts is that your portfolios basically just surround it. Everything is in Sydney. You did not go interstate. You do not look at interstate. What was the rationale behind that? Um, yeah, it's very local. Uh, it's all in Sydney. Um... Is it what because was the something that you can see, you can touch, you can feel every time um, in that sense? Or um, like, have you ever thought about in- investing in the state? Yeah, it was some, investing in Brisbane was something that we definitely considered l- later on. And the reason we just kept defaulting to Sydney was because it was a market we, we knew. And I, I didn't want to invest in something, have it not turn out, and then go, well, of course it didn't work. You didn't. What do you know about Brisbane? Or what do you know about Adelaide? And they would have been right. That would have been a very legitimate criticism if, if we eventually did it. So I'd, I'd feel comfortable doing it today, but what did I know about Brisbane? So that, that's why I never did it. Um, it. But what that meant was like 60% of what we own are units. Um, they're the old red brick walk-ups, generally speaking. But they're in great locations. You know, they're, they're, they're in good good spots around Sydney. So, yeah. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that, I've got to say. Nothing wrong with holding units. <clears throat> At least avoids a big chunk of land tax as well um, from oh, that perspective. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. <clears throat> and they will still perform in the long run. Yeah, um, they do. You know, they do. Like, so, okay. So uh, let me ask you this way then. Looking back, uh, what would you, what would you, like, is, is there something that you would tell John, 10 years ago or mm. 15 years ago when you start, when you start building a portfolio, what would you tell him that you would want to do differently if there's, if there's anything that you want to do differently, knowing what mm. you know now? Yeah. Uh, look, there's not a lot I would do differently. I, I, I would have, um, I mentioned that we own owned units. I would have probably blended more house and land into that earlier on. Okay. Um, so, you know, in Sydney and Melbourne, units are perfectly good investment. They do great, but but there were better opportunities out there. And if I was more adventurous um, in my sort of Sydney experience, we would have perhaps looked at the Hills District or mm. Western suburbs. So, and we didn't do that. So, um, or even Bankstown. You know, th- th- there's some great value in there. So, uh, I feel like we probably should have. I'd, I'm quite happy with some units, but. Um, I feel like we could have focused on houses and even townhouses a bit more um, because I think in the last 12, 12 months to two years, uh, houses have really outperformed and and that always eventually happens, right? So houses are, are better assets and uh, so that would have been that would have been good. I think that you know our worst moments when we were when we were really impatient. I think we sort of set ourselves a goal of like one a year, but. Um, I think I think you know we rushed some purchases. I think generally speaking, what we own is great, actually. But I think there are uh, some that that were probably rushed. So I'd say, um, be analytical. Um, 
be impatient. Like, I think you should be impatient. A lot of people, like I'm hearing a lot of people saying, oh, Sydney's not for me now. I'm going to wait two years. It's like, well, what do you know about what's going to happen in two years? You know the same as me, which is like nothing. I don't know anything about the next two years. So I would say impatience is a really good thing as long as as long as you're not um, sort of cutting back on the the analysis. So when I when I'm concerned about my own impatience back in the day, it was I was actually cutting corners in terms of like diligence. You know, like oh, I would have liked a, a, a an ex a north facing balcony, but screw it, I just want to buy something. So we, we compromised on some properties when we were at our most impatient and and they don't perform as well. Right. Okay. So due diligence, basically. Due diligence. Don't, don't miss anything. Don't miss anything in terms of your list. Everything needs to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that's right. That's right. Um, and, I, yeah, again, more houses. I would have I would have liked that. It's hard to go back and, and fix that because houses are expensive now. <laughs> but... Um, Oh, what I would say is it's a game of it really is a game of finance. So where yeah. we've been the cleverest is how we've managed our debt as well. One thing that we've we've done is partly through necessity, partly through like a gut instinct, is we have been we have uh, focused on debt reduction, not just on the primary residence. And I think that you know most good advice is that you focus on reducing the non-tax deductible debt. But we've actually tried to just hack away at debt in general. I think that that's really been useful for us mm. uh, so okay. I, i'd suggest that, that was a good thing um That's yeah right. okay and i do yeah, it. yeah yeah i know yeah yeah you're you're uh you're a very conservative investor so that that i can t- definitely understand yeah, where, are, you're, where you're coming from right like you don't want a debt to be sitting there ultimately and just uh, not not going down um but what was the what was the key rationale at the time when you're purchasing units over considering houses or even townhouses mm. like were, were you picking on those units because of their fantastic location, because of low brick, low maintenance over, for example, like, um, you know, block of land in hills, which I believe go, well, it's so far out there, right? What, what will be the growth prospects of those? Um, what, you know, what, what was the main rationale behind picking units over other type of, you know, houses and, or land or townhouses at that point? Um, or was it because well, you don't, it, you allowed, don't it allowed us to, that point? Yeah, look, it it allowed us to buy in better areas. Okay, that, that's the main reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So closer when you say better areas, basically closer to CBDs, blue chip type of suburbs, that kind of things. Yes. Yeah, they're not. They're, I mean, they're not. They're not blue blue chip. I, you know, we don't own anything in like Vaucluse or you know, like I don't own anything in the eastern suburbs actually. Uh, but um, uh, but but. 20 kilometer radius everything's with you know on the edge of a 20 kilometer radius that sort of thing so that would be considered middle ring so they're all in middle ring suburbs Mm -hmm. um and they're the suburbs that we we knew and understood there's nothing high rise they're all low rise so we got the the basics very right i think we got the basics right um but we also missed it on opportunities you know if we were to look further afield and buy and buy houses yeah fair enough okay okay good um any other lessons that you would like to share Mm. So far? Uh, oh, look, I mean, the, the other thing is you, you, j- just what's worked for us is keeping it boring, um, using your intuition. I mean, don't overthink it. Like, you know, people will tell you not to pay off debt. We, that's worked for us. Um, uh, what else? Um, d- d- just to do it as well. Just like, just yeah. do it. Like, it's okay to make mistakes. Like, real estate's a very forgiving asset, but, um, you know, 
uh, avoid like all the, all the old tropes about don't buy uh, off the plan. It's all true. So so avoid all that stuff. And and if you make a mistake, that's not one of those big things. You'll be okay. Mm. So make sure you start. Did you uh, looking back? Did you ever regret that you haven't pushed yourself hard enough to buy more? Because that's always oh, the number one. Yeah. That's always the yep. number one regret. Every investor kind of tells you. Yeah, yeah. Were you already redlining your borrowing capacity at that point in time, or you kind of like, mm, no, I'm not going to push one more because I think this is going to be enough for us, um, yeah. given that your comfort level. So we we could have we could have gone harder. We could have gone, gone harder. Yeah, yeah. And was um, that one of the regrets so far, though, looking back? Uh, slightly, I think you know. We, yeah, uh, in hindsight, but it's everyone's regret. Regret in hindsight, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's yeah. going to have to have that safety buffer, though. I mean, at that point, mm. right? Like, you know, what you're comfortable is what you're comfortable at that point. You, you don't know what's going to happen in the future. Um, I'm sure you know you, you've got you need to have backup plans and backup funds in yeah. case that the interest rate does go up to whatever X seven eight percent that kind of things, right? So, mm. um, okay. Uh, what I'd say is what one thing I'd say is at one point in time we we got we did get very aggressive with real estate and then we went to the peppers and the liberties. And one thing I would say is it's okay as long as you've got a, an exit plan mm. um, to, to sort of get it into sort of cheaper cheaper mortgages and so on you know you, you need to get on the on the ladder and and that's okay so we, we use those second tier lenders at some stage are very good for us so um that's okay too yeah no i think they get very, into it it's a very valid point basically yeah you look at them as a like you said as long as there's an exit strategy from these lenders right what do you need to do to be able mm. to get out of it um it's okay to be able to use them as a bit of a stepping stone mm. to to uh, uh, and i think any kind of half serious investor or any kind of serious investor would definitely be visiting the Peppers and the Liberties at one point in time, right? Um, yeah. Um, but uh, okay. No, very good. Very good points. Anything else? Nope. Boring is beautiful, guys. Buy and hold and uh, enjoy. I mean, there are more aggressive strategies out there that we didn't we didn't uh, adopt. Like we haven't really talked about renovation and we've done some of that. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, uh, but. but just make sure real estate is part of your part of your kind of wealth strategy. I mean, it's if you you know real estate works, it really works. So um, just do it. Um, and I know you mentioned about um, yeah, because you haven't got any commercials in your portfolio, mm, correct? Moment, right? Um, would that be something that you want to look at getting into in the future? Yeah, definitely. We've thought about. Buying something through our super funds, we haven't done that yet, but uh, we we're, we're definitely looking at that. And what would the commercial property play in the overall portfolio? Like, how would it how would it be positioned? Um, is that to supplement the cash flow? Um, to or yeah, so you're looking yeah. at a growth property as well in terms of a commercial. Uh, well, I think there's a there's a uh, it would be about income. That would be the main the main reason. But but um, commercial grows really well. I mean, all the successful property investors. Uh, the oldest successful property investors, they do own commercial. It's a regret that we don't own any, yeah. but you know, haven't finished yet. So, um, but it would be, it would be a, it would be for um, the purposes of income. Now, I think in the post COVID world, the whole concept of um, commercial real estate or the, the types of commercial real estate that's worth owning has changed a bit. So maybe we've dodged a bullet because <laughs> residential real estate is extremely boring and very low risk and therefore very low, low yield. Yes. Um, but it, but it would be something that we would consider. Yeah, good. Okay, awesome. All right. 
Well, look, thanks, John. I think it's uh, it's it's it's. I think it allows us uh, allows our listeners to get a up and close understanding of uh, <laughs> your mentality behind it, and uh, you know, um, and, and thank you for sharing your journey uh, in terms of your experiences and all that. So. All right, burn this episode, everyone. Uh, too, too much information. It's the first time. It's the first time we delve deep last. into John. There we go. Oh, there'll be a part two. Oh, you know, actually, here's here's a tip that here's here's a tip that's worked very well. So I've said that we we own units. Yes. This is probably a, a little bonus for the for the end of the interview. And there's a generic quality about units, which is what people get nervous about. What we ended up buying with some sort of strange, weird clairvoyance was we focused on three bedroom units okay. yep. and and they have been they performed extremely well. So what we what we did try to avoid a generic two bed, one bath, one car places. So they've either got a third bedroom or a second bathroom. Mm. We've generally targeted those. They just made it a little bit different uh, from a rental perspective, less supply, more demand, all that sort of stuff. And, and the three bedroom apartment is exploding at the moment. So that that was a good that was a good um, move yeah very good uh was that just from a rarity perspective like how how did you come up with i'm just going to buy three bedroom or you mm. know like two bathroom type of units for over two two bedroom one bathroom type of units we were looking for scarcity but i do remember scarcity. an interview with peter schiff the the american um stock market analyst the, and he was saying and he's not a real estate guy at all but he said that when things get bad, families will have to co-locate. So they'll have to move in together. And what you want, you know, anything with more bedrooms, having a one bedroom unit is essentially a very luxurious way to live because you live alone and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> but when things go bad, um, people with multiple incomes have to co-locate and having a third a property with a third bedroom, even if it's an apartment, it gives what you're probably also buying is a tenants with multiple incomes. And that was something that really worked for us. So that that old Peter Schiff thing resonated with me and turned out to be turned out to be good advice, even if it wasn't exactly true. Old though, I have to say, yeah, looking looking at where we are and where we're trending, especially post-COVID, right? Everyone is mm. asking for more spaces. For those yeah. people who can't afford to rent houses or buy houses, well, three bedroom apartments is probably the next best option that they yeah. can have, apart from mm. townhouses and villas, that kind of stuff, of course. Mm. But yeah. Mm. No, very good. Thank you. That's a, that's an excellent bonus tip. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So um, we can we can talk about this until cows come home. But yeah, um, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll have to wrap it up today. Um, so look um, for those listeners. Uh, what we discussed today are definitely not uh, financial advice. Uh, please do your own due diligence and 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 all that kind of stuff. Um, seek specific professionals um, if you want specific advice. And um, like Jazz always said, uh, you know, don't over leverage and stay safe. And, um, you know, we will definitely see you again in another episode next Friday. David and John.